Welcome to Building Your Wealth Muscle, a podcast about building and protecting wealth for online health and fitness coaches. Each episode, we're going to break down different topics in the areas of business, finance, and tax, and how they pertain to your coaching business. Disclaimer, the topics covered in this podcast are for educational purposes only. This is not advice for your specific situation. Please consult a qualified financial or tax professional before making changes to your financial or tax situation. Now, here's your host, certified financial planner, Pat Darby. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Build Your Wealth Muscle. So today is going to be a topic that I guess it's like the elephant in the room, for lack of a better term, but it comes up a lot, and it's reporting your income to the IRS. Obviously, a lot of people, if they, if they don't report their income, then maybe they don't talk about it. Maybe they're not filing taxes, and maybe they're getting away with it. But this is not a podcast episode about the IRS catching you. It's three reasons why you should want to report your income. That again, has nothing to do with the fact that that's tax evasion. It's illegal. You could go to jail if you get caught by the IRS and things like that. But that's not what this podcast episode is about because everyone, for the most part, everyone already knows not reporting your income is a game of chance. And I want to bring this up more so because as I'm recording this, this is July 2022, that you know the, there has been some changes to how income is reported. So if you're using like a business Venmo and you're not reporting it, the IRS is going to start hearing about it from Venmo. And a lot of them, like Cash App too, like the, a lot of those companies are, are now being forced to report your income over certain dollar thresholds to the IRS. So your ability to get away with it is lower than it's ever been. Um, and especially because the way people are re- getting their income reported, often nowadays it's, it's a digital trail on some level. So if they do somehow get audited, or I'm sorry, if you do somehow get audited, um, even though your personal Venmo isn't getting reported to them, the IRS may be aware of it. And in an audit, they might look at that information. Um, I know pretty famous situation that uh, was brought to me when I was earlier on in my financial career. Um, it was a bar in New Jersey that got audited and lost because they were cash. So in their opinion, they were clear. But the IRS caught them by going around and looking at the digital trail of the alcohol they were purchasing from the distributor. So that was a digital trail. And the amount being sold was cash. But they were able to sort of estimate, but this is how much, this is your prices, this is what you're buying, and this is what you're saying you sold. Bullshit. So that being said, again, if you're getting your income through digital sources, the IRS, it's not just the 1099s that are going to get forced. If, if you're in an audit situation, there's other ways for them to figure it out, especially, again, we're in a digital age. So again, this is, even though I spent a couple of minutes on that, this is not an episode about the fear factor of not reporting your income. It's more the exciting side of like, this is what you get for reporting your income. Because obviously, reporting your income, there's some taxation associated with it. And if you stick with this to the end, which I'm going to try to make this a shorter episode, because I I will say at the end, I'm going to give you some math. And so it might get dense. I'm going to do my best to, since obviously this is an audio only podcast for now, um, might be 
moving some of these to YouTube because they are actually all being recorded, but uh, it's just audio only for now. So, um, but at the end, I'm going to give you a little bit of math. So I, I hope I do my best to, to make it sound simple. Um, all right, so let's dive into it. And I'm going to start with the first one that I think is least, <laughs> least interesting to people, but it's a reality. And if you don't care now, you're going to care one day. Um, and that's social security. So if you don't report any of your income, like, okay, so let me back up. Social security is not an entitlement program. You pay into it and then you get out of it. So there is a maximum you can get out and then everyone makes a little bit less depending on how much they earned. Now, granted, it's, it tap, it tops off. Like you stop paying in social security in 2022 at 147,000. So in theory, the if assuming payment history is this, or income history is the same, someone making 200k a year and someone making 500k a year, they're getting this they they pay the same amount into social security, so they're going to get the same amount out. But obviously that scales down if if you're only making 20k versus 200k, um, you've paid into it separate different amounts, so you get out separate amounts. But if you've never paid into it, like when you go to get social security, you apply for it and then they look at your income history and you have to pay into it what they consider 40 credits, one credit per quarter. So it takes you 10 years, 40 quarters worth of credit. So you may not care about that because you're like, oh, well, I can do it in my 30s or 40s or 50s. And that may be true, but that is one of the reasons. Again, this is not social security is not an entitlement program. That's that might be a misconception to some people. Most people are probably aware of that. Um, de- depending on your age and if you follow Social Security, unfortunately, it's <laughs> I'm sort of contradicting myself here, but um, a lot of people worry that Social Security is going to become the biggest Ponzi scheme in global history, I guess, because um, it is on pace to go broke. It was on pace to go broke, I believe, in 2032, pre-COVID. So... <laughs> With all the money that got printed and and all the things that happened, um, I'm sure it's actually significantly sooner than that. But they're going to have to figure it out because I can't. I don't know how anybody would get reelected, telling the retirees you're screwed. But that's a that is one major reason that you want to pay into you want to report your income because then you get in retirement and that's not going to be chump change for you know it's going to be adjusted for inflation. But right now people are making you know three to four thousand dollars a month. From the social security again that's nothing if you're making 20 30 40k 50 and above a month with your business that 4k is nothing but hey it's not i was going to call it free money but it's not you paid into it so you're getting your own money back and so uh, we all want that so that's the first one and again i probably the least least sexy the second one is your your home if you want to buy a home you need to produce income proof of income and so how do you prove that? You're going to need tax returns, retirement statements, like pay stubs, things like that. The banks need this. Now, I know, now I know that some places do not require income verification. That's obviously less popular. Those are more rare. And as we can all agree, if you're using those types of sources for getting a loan for a home, obviously the least safe that a lender feels, the higher the rate you're going to pay. So 
although we're talking about whether or not you can or cannot get a home with no income, as a general rule, the answer is no. You know, so like any traditional lender, they're not going to touch somebody who has no income. So you need to report your income. So, and quite frankly, when we're doing tax planning for people, the question of whether you're going to buy real estate, a, a home, an investment property in the next year is an important topic that we cover for this exact reason. Because if they're trying to go out there and buy a million dollar investment property, and we're doing all these tax strategies to show their income uh, is as low as possible, it might drop them below the income ratio that the lender is looking for. So we need to be aware of that. And we use tax strategies where the income could be higher that year. And again, that's getting off the topic, but but it's, it's important to understand because we're going to loop to this at the end where reporting income is not a 100% taxation. In the United States, you don't pay 100% taxation. So if you report 100K of income, you're not paying $100,000 in taxes. You're going to start to do tax strategies. And obviously, there's going to be expenses in your business, things like that. But in that scenario, if you want to buy a house, you have to have income that you can verify to anybody who is the lender. And that, that again, that's not just a home. If you want to buy investment properties or any types of, types of real estate, you want to be able to leverage your money. And that's going to require income verification. So that's a benefit to paying your taxes. And again, I'm, I'm all for legally avoiding taxes. Emphasis on legally. Straight up evading taxes by not reporting your income. Again, it's not, we're not talking about how likely you are to get caught right now. We're talking about the things you can do with your money once it's reported. And now you can legally put it in your bank accounts. Everyone knows about it. No one cares because it's yours to use. You've, you've paid your, your taxes and now you're moving on. Now, the third one, okay, we're moving quick because I don't know how long we're going to spend on this one because I really want to go through the math with you. So I might have to go through it a couple different times say a few different ways to make sure it's not complex in, a, in an audio format. But this is where I want to break down for you the benefit of reporting your income in terms of the time value of money. So that's the whole purpose of the financial services industry. It's compounding interest. So I think it was Albert Einstein, I should have probably prepared this quote, that they said, the eighth wonder of the world is compounding interest. I think it was Warren Buffett who said compounding interest, oh, I'm going to butcher this one completely, but essentially, if you understand it, you make it. If you do not understand it, you pay it. And the simplest analogy there is credit cards. If you know, credit card companies make a fortune because those who don't understand the, how to use credit cards properly and how fast those credit card interest rates compound when especially when they charge you 20% how fast that that snowball rolls downhill crushing people and they get buried in credit card debt for that exact reason the compounding interest is working against them versus that saying like I don't know why I keep throwing out sayings but the rich get richer and that's completely true when you look at the fact that their money is working for them and this is super important for people who are younger because the best feature of compound interest is time. So, and you can see the compounding effect of when you run a scenario where you say you you take 
$1,000 and you hold it for 30 years in an investment versus 40 years, like that extra 10 years, the, the difference is double. Like in that last year, decade, it doubles again, which again, you're talking about, um, I shouldn't say it doubles again because that, that's going to change based on the interest rates. So sorry, I typically look at one particular interest rate um, because it's conservative. So scratch that, but you can take any sort of calculator and just run the math. And I'm going to do that for you in a second. We're going to talk about a few scenarios because I want you to see that if you decide to pay your taxes and you report every dollar you make, assuming you suck at tax strategy, you're still going to see how, like what the risk rewards are. Okay. So I'm going to give you two scenarios, and the first one has two components to it, and the second one does too. So it's, we're comparing and contrasting. So in the first scenario, we're going to completely ignore inflation, which as I'm recording this, July 2022, inflation is a hot topic and significantly higher than the numbers I'm going to use and the numbers that traditionally financial planners use because historically, it's around 2%. So usually that's the number people are using when they're like, hey, let's take into consideration inflation on your expenses and things like that. When you're trying to plan all the future dollars coming to you when you're 60, 70, 80 years old, obviously 2% is a historic average. So now it's like eight and a half percent or whatever it is. So they say it's probably closer to more than 10, but either way, the first scenario, we're going to completely ignore inflation. And now we're taking $100,000. So doesn't matter what, what we're talking here. Like maybe it was from your Venmo. Maybe it was legit cash from your clients. Doesn't matter. We're going to take $100,000 in cash. In scenario one, you bury it in your mattress. And in scenario two, you report every dollar of $100,000 and you do not have any expenses. In that scenario, again, we'll say you, you lose 50% to taxation. Again, that's an aggressive number because as I'm recording this, the the federal side is 37. Um, so let's say you live in California, so they, you're going to lose another 10, even though California goes up to 13%. But I wanted to make it simple in this scenario. If you take $100,000, sorry, if you take $100,000 and in scenario one, you bury it. So you just have 100K. Scenario two, you report everything to the IRS. Let's say you lose half of that to Uncle Sam. So now you have 100K on your mattress and 50K in your bank account because you paid half of it to the IRS. How long does it take for that decision to have made sense? And so we're going to take 8% rate of return. And the reason I'm taking this again, I'm basing this on the stock market. The historic returns of the stock market. I don't care if your favorite thing to invest in is another fitness business, in is real estate, is crypto. I'm just using these numbers because they're they're generally accepted frameworks, at least in the financial services industry, because of decades of data. Um, and it's obviously much easier to get decades worth of data for the stock market than it is for real estate since it's so regional and crypto doesn't have that much of a history compared like to go back 
literally 80, 90 years of historic data from the stock market. But I'm using a rate of return of 8% in the non-inflation comparison because that's about the historic average of the rate of return of the stock market going back to, I believe, the 40s and 50s, if we're going back that far, to take the average. So it does, I believe, exclude the, the Great Depression, but whatever, 8%. It would take you nine years for that 50K to now be worth 100K. So anything above that nine years, again, using that 8% return, is gravy. So in that scenario, it took you less than 10 years for it to make sense that your money went back to work for you. And now that 50K in 10 years, or sorry, nine years is the equivalent of what you buried under your mattress. So you might be like, well, that sucks. Uh, nine years is a long time. And depending on how you look at it, that could be true. <laughs> but um, but in that amount of time, again, I don't care what your asset is. You could maybe have done something different with it, but that's the math. At 8% rate of return on your 50K, it's going to be worth 100K in roughly nine years. Now, scenario two, we're bringing good old inflation into the mix. And again, as we're as I'm recording this in 2022, you might really give a shit about inflation because I literally I have my social media videos from I think probably when Trump was still in office when we were talking about inflation as something like the silent killer. Like we had to tell people about it. Like, hey, you know, you think that that 100K sitting in your savings account is making you money but it's actually losing you money because they're paying you 1% and inflation's too. So, hey, you know, you're actually losing money. Like that was, that was a concept we had to like explain to people. Whereas now everyone knows inflation. <laughs> if you went to the grocery store or the gas station in the last 12 months, you know what freaking inflation is. So it's much easier to have this conversation of like, hey, you know, idle cash over decades is a problem. Now, again, over decades, inflation is not 8%. But it is it is a shining a light on the fact that idle cash does not go up. There's no there's no like guaranteed investment. Like holding cash has a risk to it. Holding a stock has a risk to it. Holding crypto has a risk to it. So like you just have to understand your risks. Obviously some risks are higher than others, but holding cash has a risk and that is inflation. You do lose the buying power of your dollar over time. So this this scenario, we're going to take $100,000 and we're going to run it with inflation. So we see what it is. So again, we already said scenario 100K, we buried it in cash. And now if we take that same hundred, that same 50,000, now we can't multiply it by 8%. We're going to multiply it in terms of its rate of return by 6% because we're going to use that 2% number, but to keep it balanced and fair, we'd say, all right, well, I'm not getting an 8% return. I'm getting a 6% return because I still have inflation working against my dollars in the stock market. So again, if the market's make, bringing me 8 and I, I have a little bit of drag from inflation at 2%, my real return is 6 so that's that's one thing you have to always be careful with people trying to explain the return of investments because if they're using if they're sort of conveniently leaving out inflation in one side of the equation and then putting it into the other, um, I'm not saying they're misleading you. They could just be doing it by accident. But I, I try to explain how it 
could be apples and oranges this scenario. So in that scenario, now we're down to a 6% rate of return. Again, inflation's real, so it's you have to account for it. Now it would take 12 years for that 50k to be worth 100k. So that just that is what it is. However, if we're going to take that 12 years, we have to be fair. So what's that 100k worth that's sitting in in your mattress in 12 years with that same inflation again it doesn't do anything for you sitting on your mattress no one knows about it right so what did inflation do to it in that same 12 years you're now worth that 100k is worth $78,000 so you think that in 12 years like oh that sucks my 50k is only worth 100k in 12 years because I only made 6% of my money but all the while You've lost $22,000 of your buying power of because you did not invest. I'm sorry, you did not report the income. You couldn't buy any assets with it. So you just held it in cash. It's now worth $78,000. So if you're trying to use break even numbers, we would say, all right, well, 50K in theory now to make it equivalent doesn't have to get back to 100 for to make sense for you to report your income. It has to get back to 78,000 in under 12 years for it to make sense. And your 50k can get back to 78k in using again 6% in 8 years. Now, the moral of the story here is one maybe Pat's podcast is boring because he uses a lot of math or two that in under 10 years, you can get back to where you were in your income basically by, or not basically, you can get back to your income by reporting it. Now, again, I'm using a ton of variables in this scenario in that like inflation's two, you know, one, one rate of return is six, another is eight. And again, like in theory, I could have made one scenario the negative 2% and the other one 8%. And then I would have pulled the number down to like six years. But I did. I purposely was trying to make it as conservative as possible because I'm not trying to make any of this look like a get-rich-quick scheme because it's not. Building wealth is slow and boring, but the people who do slow and boring and have patience have tremendous wealth. And it's because of compounding interest and getting rich boringly still works. Um, But I more importantly want you to think about the fact that you want to report your income because all of these things, again, like once you cross the break-even point, everything is gravy. And again, I'm using boring conservative numbers. Maybe you're awesome at real estate and you're getting double-digit returns and you're leveraging your money. You know, Then these numbers just get more and more appealing. And that's the way you need to look at it. And again, you got to think about you're doing this every single year. So every single year, you're not hiding that 100K. You know, by the time you get to the 20 year mark, all your money continues to double every, not, I shouldn't say the double. I keep, I keep using that term, but over whatever the amount of time you use the rule of 72 to figure out, you know, what rate of return, how many years it's going to take for your money to double. And then you can see how this has a huge multiplying effect. When you reported your income in 2022 and 2032, 
you know, again, in all these conservative scenarios, you've already broken even. Then by 2042, how many times has your money doubled again? And again, this is this is why, and again, depending on what you're doing for in your fitness business, like whether you're running it as an enterprise and you're trying to build a team and you're going to have this thing run for years, even without you, and at which point maybe you just retire and have some percentage of the business as royalty. Or if you're pulling the money out of the business, and this is what you would need to do, you need to buy assets. Um, whether that doesn't matter what it is, it just that gets you a return on your money. So you literally are making money while you sleep using the benefits of compounding interest. So again, the moral of the story is I've given you a few different variations of how you can break even on every year within 10 years. And again, this is assuming extremely high tax rates of 50%, which most people aren't going to pay that high. Um, if you're, unless you're making seven figures or high six figures, most people aren't going to pay that high. And again, on top of that, if you're making that kind of money, you're, you should be working with tax strategists. And again, then we're bringing down that percentage you pay. Um, and again, this is not, not even taken into effect into account the fact that you're leveraging your money. You're buying a mortgage for your primary residence. You know, and at, once you start acquiring these assets, again, there's not getting into the tax strategy of it today. A lot of podcasts that talk about that, but um, you have the ability to pay much less than these super conservative numbers. So 10 years might be like, holy shit, Pat, that's a long time. But that's the the numbers are boring. When, when you talk about compounding interest and investing in general, again, I'm this total disclaimer, all of this has been completely educational. I'm not giving you investment advice. I'm just running numbers. I don't care what you invest in. If, the, if you invest in real estate to get you a 6% rate of return or a stock or a crypto, doesn't matter. This is just the time value of money calculation that works in any spreadsheet. But what I'm saying is the first, in any compounding interest, the first few years are the worst because you don't see – because your money isn't really – your the interest on your money hasn't started to make, it, make its own interest yet in the beginning. But towards the end of compounding interest, the amount you put into it is minuscule compared to the value of the total account or the, the whatever. You know, It's the interest that's making more interest. That's compounding interest. Um, so again, you have to be patient for the first five to 10 years. But I, I wanted this to break the math down of really comparing like why you shouldn't just hide the money under a mattress. Again, this isn't even taken in the fact that most people realistically aren't taking their 100K and putting it under a mattress and then holding it there until they're 70 years old. And now they're going to start to pay their bills with it and live their retirement. And then we'd be saying, oh, well, that sucks because there's some inflation that we have to worry about. Realistically, you're going to end up using it on things that have no future value. Again, like you talk about the wealthy and how they buy assets. When you don't have reportable income, it's very hard to buy assets because there's not a lot that you could you could do, quote unquote, legally. So you, most people end up spending it on things like travel. And I'm not bashing any of these other things, but if you're sitting there saying to yourself, well, I don't want to report this income but I also want to have financial freedom and I also want to at one point not have to work. 
like loving what you do and having to do it don't have to be the same thing. Again, like you can love what you do and work till you the day you die because you want to. You have the financial freedom to stop whenever you want or God forbid something happens and you can't do it. You know, you get sick, injured, you need to care for somebody else that gets sick or injured and you have the financial ability to do that. So again, I, I hope this has been helpful. Um, if this has, please do me a favor and share it with a friend, especially if, if you know somebody who, who thinks, you know, has brought this up with you, that they're just very nervous about reporting their income because they just don't know anything about uh, the benefits of that. Um, and one thing I wanted to get into, it, I, I really didn't. Um, basically, what do you do if you wanted to, well, how do you get started? Um, let me spend two minutes on that because uh, I think it's important. As a bare minimum, if you're like, all right, I, what should I do to start reporting my income? The main thing that is going to, I would say deter, maybe deter is the wrong word, but if you're going to report your income, which I'm, this entire podcast has been dedicated to like report your damn income. It's, it's the right thing to do for your future self because you can do smart things with the money once it's above board. But if you're going to report your, uh, sorry, not if, when you report your income, make sure you're reporting your expenses because they're, if they're legitimate business expenses, let's start chopping away that income that you owe taxes on because you don't pay taxes on your revenue. You pay taxes on your profits. So if you made $200,000 of sales in your business, again, maybe it was cash and Venmo and Cash App, but you legitimately had $75,000 worth of expenses you only owe the difference, that 125. That's all you owe taxes on. So maybe you're like, oh, only I was planning on not reporting, blah, blah, blah. But but that's the point. You don't don't just submit to the IRS, like, okay, um, here's my income, 200000 <laughs> Like, then you way overpaid your taxes. So please, please make sure you stay organized with your expenses. And I'm not saying go out and hire professional bookkeeping and stuff, even though depending on how much you're making that that's going to probably save you more than it costs because of this concept of you accidentally forgetting thousands and thousands of dollars worth of legitimate expenses because they fall through the cracks. Like maybe it was cash, maybe it was on a personal card, whatever. It's the small things that add up. It's really like you think about it, you know, $300 here, $200 there. You do that two dozen times throughout the year. You know, how much is that? You know, seven, eight thousand dollars um, of tax of tax deductible expenses that now you're paying taxes on. So at a conservative level, let's just call it one third. You know, in that scenario, you pay almost $3,000 of extra taxes for just because you were disorganized. So here's a very simple way to stay organized. Have a separate bank account that you use exclusively for your business. Now, you don't have to be an LLC or an S Corp or anything like that. You know, it's recommended. For, for a lot of people. But again, that's a separate topic. But if you're not, that's cool. No big deal. Just make sure you have a personal checking account. It'll be in your name. It'll be in your social security number. It can be at your favorite bank where your other accounts are. But this account, the difference will be 
you use it exclusively for business. So in this scenario, you have your Venmo, which again, I would recommend you use a, the business Venmo so that you, you can still use your personal one for friends and family and whatnot. But your business Venmo that's exclusively used for your clients, you link this to that account. You go, you have a debit card with that account. You only use it for business expenses. Because again, it's at the end of the year when you're trying to go back and figure out where you, you use your business, it's very difficult. But at the point of contact or the point of sale, it's very easy. You are out to lunch with a client, pull out the debit card that is linked to your business. I'm using air quotes, your business account, the account that you use exclusively for your business. You're buying a plane ticket to go travel to a fitness competition. At the point of sale, when you're ready to swipe the card, you know that it's a business trip. So that's the card you use. Again, at the end of the year, things get very hazy. Like, was that a, I don't, was that lunch while I was on a business trip? You know, it's very difficult. But now you have a bank account with all these transactions that you know are 100% business. And you see all the income coming in that you know is 100% business. You do the same thing with a credit card. Again, in this scenario, maybe this is all in your personal name. That's cool. You get a, a Visa card, a American Express. I don't care. Probably both since not everyone takes American Express. So a lot of people have both. But anyway, um, they're exclusively used for business. So again, it, it can be this is like the basic way to do bookkeeping is just make sure you don't commingle. And again, that's not talking about asset protection and stuff. It's the other reason you don't want to commingle once you have paid the money for an entity like an LLC. But now we're just talking about simple, like that is the basics of bookkeeping is just keep your personal expenses out of that, that one account. And then that one account is only used for business so that every time you're out with your team or you're out with a prospect or whatever the case may be, you know exactly which card to pull out of your wallet and track that expense. Now, again, I would really love it if you also kept receipts and invoices and all that good stuff that if you were ever audited, you actually have a paper trail. But let's let's do the basics first. So again, in case that hasn't been clear yet, um, you do not need an entity to be a legitimate business. You can be what's called a sole proprietorship, run it 100% out of your social security number. Um, for, for tax purposes, an LLC and a sole proprietorship are identical. It's when you start talking about asset protection that an LLC and whatnot becomes a more prudent decision. And if, if you've listened to what we're talking about today, you know, again, this podcast is called Build Your Wealth Muscle. We're talking about building wealth. So it's unsexy in the beginning. You're like, oh, geez, I'm paying taxes and, you know, I have an accountant now and I have a bookkeeper and Pat hopefully is helping with coordinate all of it. I mean, guys, that's what, we, that's what we do. We do the tax strategy. We coordinate with the tax filing. If you have an accountant, this is what we do. Like we, we implement all these strategies for you so because you don't necessarily know what questions to ask. We know how to implement all of this. But what, where I'm going with that is once you have all these things in place, you start building wealth. You cross over these break-even points that we're talking about. And now you're like, oh, this is getting exciting. Now you have assets. Now you have something, I'm not a lawyer, so disclaimer, this is not legal advice, but now that you have assets and now you have something that somebody else could want to take from you, 
now you want to start talking about asset protection. And that might be really like, okay, well, I definitely need an LLC because God forbid something happens. I, I just bought this house. I bought these investment properties. I've got these investment accounts now. I would really hate to have a lawsuit dropped on me. Um, then, then you bring in legal professionals. But from a tax perspective, you can just make it simple. You've got a social security number. You're running the business out of that. Just stay organized. So real quick to recap, I was hoping this would be less than 30 minutes. It's, it's gone closer to 40 now. The three main reasons you want to report your income is overall we're talking about you want to make money on your money. First one, paying in the Social Security. That's kind of boring. I don't care. <laughs> Hopefully Social Security is even there for you. What, depending on how old you are, um, quite frankly, it's it's a it's a scary proposition that it could be gone or or significantly look diff- look significantly differently. But hey, at the end of the day, you want to get the entitlement that you see everyone else getting. And if you've ever had a job as a working for an employer, you've paid into it some. You want to make sure you get your ten full years worth. The second one is you want to buy a home. Everyone at some point. I shouldn't say everyone, but most people want to buy a house. If that's important to you, then you're going to need to be able to prove your income. They're going to need to see tax returns, pay stubs, things like that. And the last but not least, again, that sort of ties into the second one, is buying assets. You want to be able to take advantage of compounding interest. It's really hard to do that. Like TD Ameritrade, where um, the custodian that I have my clients on, you can't send cash. It has to come from f- another bank. So to put, so if you want to be able to put your money in banks and not worry about the IRS knowing about it, you need to be able to claim it and keep it above board. And now you're buying assets, and now you're you're taking advantage of interest rates and uh, rates of return. So I really, I really hope this has been valuable. Again, it, it feels like sometimes the elephant in the room when I talk tax strategy with people. And all of it sounds expensive because right now they're not paying any taxes at all or very little because the majority of their income, they're, they're, it's tax evasion. They're, they're evading taxes and there's tax avoidance, which can be illegal, and there's tax evasion, which is illegal. So um, again, I hope this has been helpful. If it has been, please do me a favor, share it, uh, tag me on Instagram, be great. I had a thousand followers this weekend. Now I dropped like five or six. So I think I need the bots to give me like six more. Um, but if you want to tag me on Instagram, it's at the Pat Darby. And uh, I'm on TikTok as well at the Pat Darby. But uh, I have a lot of bot followers there too. I think I have like 50 followers. But do me a favor, please share this episode, tag me. And, and if it brings value to one of your friends or if they have a question, Tell them to DM me. Um, I I really love this stuff, mostly because I didn't know jack shit about this stuff when I graduated college. So now that I am an expert in it, in my opinion, um, I really want to do my best to help others, especially want to help others start this way earlier than I did because I really spent a lot of time not knowing about it or caring. So if I can if I can do that, um, then I've done my job. So, all right, guys, you have a great week and talk to you later. 
Thank you for joining us this week on Building Your Wealth Muscle. Make sure you visit our website, darbyba.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. While you're at it, if you found value, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us as well. For more information on the topics covered, you can follow Pat on Instagram at PatDarbyBiz. The download from this episode is available in the show notes. And if you want help building your wealth specifically, Pat Darby is currently taking private clients. The link to book a call is also in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and have a great day.